Well, good morning again. Great to be with you. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter. Find your place around chapter 2 is where we're going to be in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket there in front of you. Uh, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you. And also, I uh, want to invite you again. If you have not yet jumped into this journey of walking through 1 Peter, I encourage you to do that. Read along with us. Uh, reading plans available out in the foyer, printed copy plan online uh, app you can follow along as we journey through First Peter together. Now remember, this is a letter. It's written from the Apostle Peter, divinely inspired to these elect exiles scattered all over the Roman world, and they are wrestling with being called out of the world, but yet still living very much in the world. And how do you live faithfully? We see that through this great letter. And one of the one of the truths that Peter is going to deal with this morning, absolutely vital for them that he's writing to, to live faithfully and at the same time absolutely vital for us this morning. Now this big truth that we're going to look at, I'll introduce it in just a minute, but this big truth is a God-honoring, uh, life-shaping, soul-satisfying big truth that's not just in Peter. Now, this big truth we're going to look at runs from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. This big truth we're going to look at this morning is for all believers in all places in all times. The exiles that Peter's writing to and for us today here in East Tennessee. Before I show you this out of 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to give you some other examples throughout Scripture of this truth that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. I'm going to give you some examples. These are uh, not even going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read these to you. You just listen to the Word of God read over you. And you're going to hear a drumbeat recurring through all of these. Book of Job. Job says this. He says, I have not departed from the command of your lips. I have treasured the words, O God, from your mouth more than my necessary food. Job had a hunger for the Word of God. Joshua 1.8 says it this way, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Joshua, as he's leading the people of Israel into the promised land, says, this word of God, this book of the law is not to depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day, night. Psalm 119, the psalmist says it this way. The law of your mouth is better. Now listen to this. The law of your mouth, the word of God is better to me, he says, than ten thousands of gold and silver pieces. I'd rather have the Word of God than any amount of money that the world can offer. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And that day the most pure sweet thing you could have was honey. We didn't have, they didn't have the candies like we have today. The psalmist is saying the sweetest thing to my taste, greater than honey. The Word of God. 
Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Jeremiah chapter 15 said, your words, O Lord, were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. You hear that? The word of God was his joy, his delight of his heart. For I have been called by your name, Jeremiah says, O Lord God of hosts. Here's the big truth that you hear, this drumbeat throughout the pages of Scripture is this. God's people long for God's Word. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 4 as he was being tempted. He's quoting from Deuteronomy and he quotes and he says this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by what proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul in Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. On and on and on throughout the pages of scriptures, this drumbeat that God's people long for God's word. So we come to Peter. And Peter's going to quote the prophet Isaiah at the end of chapter 1, talking about the permanence and the enduring nature of the Word of God, the seed of the Word. And then he's going to make an application to it in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It's where we're going to be this morning. So read with me or look with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter says this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Everything that's natural, it has a, it's going to fade away. He says, but there's something that's supernatural that never fades away, verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. And Peter says, and this word is the good news that was preached, proclaimed to you. The enduring nature of God's word. Then you come to chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says this, therefore, or so, as it says in the ESV. Based on what I've just said about the permanence, the enduring, the life-giving nature of the word of God, Peter makes an application and he says this, verse 1 of chapter 2. So, put away. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Put away all malice all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And then here's the pivot verse that really the whole chapter pivots around this right here, verse 2. Like newborn infants, like a nursing baby. Anybody been around a nursing baby lately? One thing on that baby's mind. It says like a newborn baby, long for the pure spiritual milk, a reference to the Word of God, that by it, the Word of God, you may grow up. That you may grow in respect or grow up unto salvation, a reference back to the great salvation given to us by faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying there is this hunger for the Word of God that is to be in the hearts and lives of God's people. Here's your big truth again. God's people long for God's Word. Now this is an incredibly challenge, 
incredibly challenging passage. We know that it pierces right to our hearts. And we asked this question at the beginning of our service. What now is, how would you characterize your own longing, craving for God's word in your life? And as we said earlier, maybe ask it this way. What is it right now that clearly your schedule reveals it, our patterns reveal it, how the conduct of our life reveals it? What are you craving a whole lot more than God's Word? John Piper said it this way. He said, God wrote a book. God has spoken. He has revealed Himself to us. We have His words. We can hear in our souls the very voice of God himself by his spirit through his book. It's entrusted to us, the word of God. God has written a book. Now it's really interesting here as you read along through this and you come to this application by Peter to these exiles, those who are staying in a strange place for a period of time, those who are out of step with the world around them, longing and trying to figure out, okay, how do we walk faithfully in this world that's not our home? Peter does not say here, read the Word. Although other places we are called clearly to read the Word of God. Peter does not say study the Word. Even though we're called to that in many other places in Scripture, we're called to study the Word. It's not what Peter says. He doesn't even say meditate or proclaim the Word here in chapter 2, verse 2. He says this, long for the milk of the Word of God. You know why Peter says that? Because Peter's getting to the very heart, the very core of it. Here's what Peter knows and what you and I need to know this morning. Whatever you long for most, you will pursue most. That's a really good place for an amen, by the way. Ready? I'll give you another chance. We're wired in such a way, whatever you long for most, you'll pursue most. You'll read it. You'll study it. In fact, you'll build your life around it. Your life right now, in one way or another, is built around whatever you long for most and desire most, whether you realize it or not. And if we have this longing for God's word so that we will grow unto Christ's likeness, then you will build your schedule around getting the word of God into your life versus what you and I often do and say, well, when I can find time or I can fit it into my schedule, and you and I both know you can't create time, you'll never find time, you will build your life and your schedule and your patterns around what you desire most. So Peter says, long for the pure milk of God's word. Action will flow out of that. Long for the pure milk of the word of God. Verse 2, if you want to circle that word, it, it is long for in the ESV. It, it simply means, you can figure it out, it, it means an intense desire. It means to crave something. It, it's written in the sense of an ongoing active command. It is a command from God to crave His Word. And at the same time, it is something that the Spirit of God produces in us, a longing for His Word. The pure milk of the word, he says. We're to long for the pure milk of the word. What does he mean? The word pure here has the idea of without contamination. It is 
undefiled. It is sincere without any hint of falsehood. I was reading this. Think about it. Think about all the words that you hear and are exposed to on a daily basis. Think about all the information that comes into the ear gate or the eye gate or into your life on a daily basis. Almost all of them in one way or another are tainted with some sense of falsehood or some false agenda. And you have to wonder, is that even true? Could I even believe that? There is one source in your life of pure, absolute truth. It is the living Word of God. The pure milk of the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 30 says, Every word of God is flawless. Psalm 119 says, The sum of your word is truth. All of it. Every word and the sum of it all. Absolute truth. Long for the pure milk of the Word of God. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to be relatively brief, giving you this big truth, and then I'm going, to get, I'm going to ask a few questions about this and give you a couple big ideas that flow out of it, hopefully challenge and help us this morning, all right? God's people long for God's Word. Now, question number one is this, coming right out of this passage, what does it look like, or what does longing for God's Word look like? Well, Peter helps us back in verse 2. He gives you a word picture, and it's an un unmistakable word picture, right? You don't have to be brilliant to read verse 2 and say, like a newborn infant, we are to long for the pure spiritual milk, like a nursing baby. (laughs) Right on time. (laughs) I love it. This is a reference to an intense sort of craving, Newborn babies enter the world with one single thing in mind, an intense, loud craving for one thing. Give me the life-giving milk. They're unashamed in that. So it's an, it's an intense uh, craving. That's, that's Peter's idea here. At the same time, I want you to see this. This is huge. It's a supreme craving, meaning a, a newborn baby longs for milk more than anything else. Now, here's what we as parents do. I've had children. You've, maybe you've been around a newborn recently. Maybe you're a new grandparent, whatever the case is. Parents and grandparents will spend an immense amount of money and time to paint the nursery a certain color, get that crib exactly right, get that baby the exact perfect clothes, and that baby could care less about the paint on the wall. That baby wants the pure milk. It is an intense craving. It is a supreme craving above all other cravings. Here's your first big idea then that flows out of this. Jesus' followers intensely and supremely crave God's word above all other human cravings. Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone. That that craving for hunger. He said there's to be an even greater craving in our lives than we crave for bread. But we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Wow. Tensely, supremely crave God's word above all other human cravings. I'm going to stop right here. 
Do you know I think that is absolutely true no matter at what stage you are in your Christian journey, what age you are, what level of maturity you think yourself to be. If you, at whatever stage you are, do not have an intense longing and hunger for God's word, you are stumbling in your growth and you are fooling yourself and trusting your own reasoning more than you are trusting the life-giving nourishment from the, God, from the Word of God. Give me an example. What stood out to me as an example that was the life of the Apostle Paul. I would say Paul's a pretty mature guy. I'd say Paul had accomplished a lot. At the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's the last letter we have of Paul that he wrote. He's, he's in a jail cell under Roman arrest. He's going to be beheaded. He knows he's at the end of his life. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And it's cold and he's in this jail cell. And you get this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13. Paul says, when you come to me, Timothy, bring my coat. He says, bring the cloak. Why? What's well, spiritual about that? It's cold. Watch. He said, also bring my books. I left him with Carpus at Troas, but above all, bring the parchments. You say, I don't know what that means. In that day, portions of the Old Testament were written on parchments, and here's what Paul's saying. Let me translate it for you. More than you bring me anything in the last days, maybe the last hours of my life, bring me my Bible. Bring me my Bible. He had an intense supreme longing for the word of the living God. To what degree do you and I long for the word of God in our daily lives? Next question. What does longing for God's word result in? So we saw what longing looks like. It's this picture of this infant, this nursing baby, this supreme intense longing. Okay, what does longing for God's word result in? What's the outcome? Peter helps us with that. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that by it... The instrument he's saying, this is the tool by which the Spirit of God uses for what? That you may grow up unto salvation. He's not saying that you grow to salvation. He's talking to believers here who have tasted, they have been born again, they've been made a child of God, but we are in this process, this journey of being transformed into greater and greater and greater Christ-likeness. And he says, this is important for us, he says, this desire for growth is not by comparing ourselves to one another. He says, you desire growth in respect to salvation, which means your standard that you're looking back is nothing less than Jesus himself. And it is the word of God that is to dwell in us the word of Christ by which we are daily and moment by moment becoming more and more and progressively like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There should be hunger and a desire, a lack of contentment. Yes, there's a contentment in the person of Christ, but we're never content in where we are on this journey. I want to be more like Jesus. And Peter says it is by this word that we grow in respect to that salvation that we've received in Christ. 
He talks about this baby again. This baby is wired for an intense longing for milk, which is the essential thing absolutely necessary for life and growth. That baby needs the touch and presence of mom and dad. That baby needs a warm bed. That baby needs sleep. That baby needs all that. But you can give a baby all of that, and you deprive that baby of milk, the baby will not survive. Same with us. The Word of the living God that we are to crave for. Here's your big idea that will flow out of this. Jesus' followers grow. We grow in direct proportion to our longing for God's Word. You'll grow in proportion to the longing for the Word and then the place you give the Word in your life and how you pursue the teaching of the Word and the obedience of the Word and the meditation of the Word and the praying of the Word in your life. And we will grow in proportion to that longing for the Word in our lives. God's Word gives new birth in Christ. Peter shows us that in chapter 1, verse 23. It's the seed of the Word by which we come to know Christ that's been planted in our soul. And in the same way, God's living Word produces growth in Christ. It's how you grow. It's how you grow. The same Word that gives spiritual life is the same Word that gives us continual ongoing growth. The place we give God's Word in our life. Now. Maybe you're asking, I'll I'll take just a second, we could talk about this all day, this is going to be brief. Okay, so the Word produces this growth in us, how does it do that? How does the Word produce this growth in us? And there's a hundred places we could go to in Scripture, I'm going to go to just one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it'll be on the screen for you. How does this Word of God produce this growth in us? Listen to what Paul says, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God, inspired by God from the very mouth of God, and is profitable for four things, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What an incredible two verses. So Paul, help us here. How does the Word of God help us to grow? How does it grow us? He says four things. Number one, the Word teaches us. The Word is the divine instruction. It is the comprehensive body of divine truth. It is here that we learn the nature of who God is. It is here that we learn the nature of man. We learn the wisdom of how the world operates. We understand how the world began, where the world's going. This is the body of absolute truth entrusted to you. We, we learn. The Bible teaches what is true as opposed to error and what is false. It teaches Secondly, the Bible, it says the Bible reproves or rebukes us. Now, maybe we don't like that one as much. But here's what Peter is saying or what Paul is saying in this. The Bible rebukes, in other words, exposes distorted and sinful worldviews, attitudes, practices relative to the absolute truth of the word. The Bible cuts us. Healthy teaching of the word of God cuts us. Healthy study of the word of God cuts us. Meaning there are things in my life that are are just untrue. There are practices that are untrue. There are worldviews that are jaded. We are growing. We are so conformed to this world. This is the book that transforms us. But cutting is necessary. It exposes us. 
James chapter 1 says the Bible is a mirror. Listen, the, the center of the Bible, you learn a lot about yourself from the Bible. The, the main point of the Bible is not you, by the way. Amen? It's about God himself, but here's where you learn who you truly are. It's a mirror. Children of Israel understood that when they were instructed to build the tabernacle as the worshiper was approaching the tabernacle of the presence of God, they had to pass something called a bronze laver. It was full of water and they would look down into that bronze laver and there was water where they would wash their hands. But that bronze laver, you know what they saw when they looked down inside of it? It was lined with mirrors and they saw themselves. As a picture to when we come to the word of God, we see a true picture of who we are, of our sin, of our fallenness, of our brokenness. And that's why James says, don't be like that person who goes to the mirror and just walks away. No, no, no. We are broken. We are cut. We are challenged. We are shaped by the word of God. It rebukes. It challenges. Paul says here, it also corrects. Listen, this is great. What the Bible cuts, the Bible restores. The idea of correct here is the idea of the restoration of something that's out of its proper condition, a restoring of something. It's like Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. That which is disintegrating is put back together. There's a cutting and there's a healing that comes about as we immerse ourselves in the Word of, the word of God. Isn't that great? And he says there's an equipping that takes place, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It builds into our lives everything necessary to live godly, pursue Christ's likeness in this fallen world. How do you live faithfully? How are you equipped to invest in one another? How do we build one another up? How do we make Christ known? How are we equipped to be all that God has called us to be in Christ? He's given us the word of God. See that? Incredible promises here. Jesus followers, we grow in direct proportion to our longing for God's word. Now thirdly, very quickly. So Peter shows us what it looks like to hunger for God's word. Peter shows us what it looks like. What's the outcome? What's the word of God do in our lives? Third question, and we're done, is this. All right, what hinders our longing from God's, for God's word? See, Peter begins this in verse 1 by saying this. That there's, some, there's some things in our lives that hinder our longing for God's word, verse 1, so put away. The idea of put away is just like that. It's like changing clothes. It's taking something that is in your life and putting it away from you. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Now, from this verse and on in chapter, on in verse 2, there, there's a few things that hinder our longing for God's word. There's at least three of them. I'm going to give it to you really quick. Ready? Here they go. Number one is sin. <laughs> Sin. Sin in the life of a believer that is ongoing. We refuse to renounce it. We refuse to call it what it is. We want to toy with it. Peter says this malice. The word malice is a general term for wickedness. That darkness that remains in our heart. Deceit is this general form of falsehood. Hypocrisy, envy, slander. Which by the way, these terms are exact opposite of what he says in chapter 1. To fervently love one another. Exact opposite. You slander one another. You have envy toward one another. He says these sins in our life held on to can become hindrances to our longing to God's word. So that's why the old adage, y'all have heard this before, sin keeps us from the Bible and the Bible keeps us from sin. 
you approach God's word, there's a season of putting away. What are those things, those pursuits in my life? What are, what are those things that are hindering, quenching my longing for God's word? Secondly, something else that seems to be in this text very quickly that hinders our longing for God's word is this, watered down substitutes. I don't see that there, Pastor Mike. Is that in your Bible? Where did you see that? Well, he says, long for the pure milk of the Word. See, in that day, consumers were very familiar with going and purchasing something that had been heavily diluted. They would go and buy milk from the store, and it had been so diluted, it lost the power to bring about growth. They would go to the store and buy wine. It had been so diluted. They understood the idea of pure here to be something that was so diluted. Peter says, no, 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 no. Long for the undiluted Pure milk from the mouth of the living God, His Word. And I would just say to us as a means of encouragement and challenge, you live in a day, I live in a day where there are an infinite number of good resources to be used. Some are good, some are not. We know that. But you have a sea of materials you could use. Do not replace the pure milk of God's Word in your life with what someone else merely has to say about the Word. Use those resources. They're great. We use them. But never let that be a replacement for you lingering and praying and reading and studying and meditating on the living Word of God. Don't you settle for a watered-down substitute. That was another good place for an amen. Thank you. I want. That can quench your longing for the Word of God. Third one, we're done. What hinders... The, are longing for the word. Number one, sin. Number two is watered down substitutes. Number three, I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, I have no idea what you mean, so hang with me. Spiritual fatalism. I have no idea what you mean. What does that mean? Peter says here, you as you long for the word, as the word of God is a part of your life, you will grow as a believer unto salvation or coming from salvation. Spiritual fatalism, and I'm reading from John Piper here, is something in our lives that we just don't believe the promise of God here, that it is the Word of God that can really produce growth in me. I can really grow in maturity. I can really grow in Christ-likeness. I can really grow in boldness. I can really grow to be a man or a woman of God. I can really grow because the Word of God promises that kind of growth. But we have this thing called spiritual fatalism that we doubt that to be true. Here's what Piper says. Spiritual fatalism is a sense that genetics, family, past experience, present circumstances are just too strong to allow me to ever really grow and change. And to become more zealous for the things of God, more delighted in God, more hungry for fellowship with Christ, more at home with spiritual things, more bold to make Jesus known, more constant in joy. Spiritual fatalism is tragic for the church. It leaves people stuck. It takes away our hope and our belief that God's word is true and you and I can really grow into Christ's likeness because the Bible promises it to be so. Don't you settle for some notion that you can't grow more and more and more in Christ. It is slow sometimes. It is painful sometimes. But Scripture says, long for the pure milk of the Word that by it you may what? Grow up. Grow up. 
put away anything that hinders our lives from that kind of growth. Don't settle for any kind of watered-down substitute. And as the team comes on up and just begins to play, we're going to move into a time of response. You ask God and plead with your Father to give you a renewed, fresh hunger and longing for the pure milk of His Word and by it grow into greater and greater and greater and greater Christ-likeness. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, say, Pastor Mike, I've been a Christian a month. Pastor Mike, I've been a Christian for 60 years. It doesn't matter. Long for the pure milk of the Word of God. You bow your head. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to stand and sing a song of response. Pray you'll take just a minute and do an evaluation before the Lord. Let the Spirit of God reveal where is your hunger. How does your life reveal that, your schedule? What are you craving more than the Word of God? Do you have an intense, supreme longing? Are you being shaped? Are you being changed? Are you laying aside anything that hinders that longing? Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this time. God, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I plead, Holy Spirit of God, that you would renew, awaken, stir, fresh hunger for you, to know you, to be like you, to make you known. God, we would long for the word that comes from your mouth. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.